Lord God, we thank you for this day, God, and it's a special day, God, because it's your day. It's a day we come and seek you and worship you. It's a day we come to spend time with you, Lord, to be with you and seek your face, God. And Lord, it's a special day because, Lord, we come in expectation, knowing that you want to speak to our hearts, you want to move upon us, Lord, and you want to help us grow. So help us grow today, Lord. I pray for your Holy Spirit to fill us and touch us now. I pray, God, that you would continue with your presence, minister, Lord, to our hearts. And, Lord, now we just ask for your anointing by your spirit upon your word. So speak now. Our ears are listening. And we lift this time up to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, as the bride picked up the piece of wedding cake, she did what some brides do, smash it into the groom's face. (laughs) As it has been done in many weddings before, it will happen in many, many weddings after. But at this wedding reception, somewhere in the U.S. last year, it continued on and became something more inconsiderate to each other and the guests. The groom, while tried to do more damage as he managed to wipe some frosting on her face, they went back and forth attempting to retaliate with the bride even running away, coming back, being playful. When it seemed that it was all okay, the groom got one more chance, and and there's a video of this actually. When the bride came near, he attempted to push her face down right into the cake, down into the cake. Well, when she resisted, she put her arms out and her hands straight out. And as a result of that motion, she knocked the whole four-tiered wedding cake onto the floor, splat. And so their wedding made the news with the headline, Wedding Cake Hits Floor During Couples Food Fight. (laughs) Crazy. So if any of you guys planning to get married soon, don't let it get out of hand and watch out that you're not too inconsiderate to each other in that way. For what's interesting to me when I saw the heading of the, the, the news line, uh, I, for me, the word wedding was there and food fight was there. And I was like, whoa, those two things shouldn't go together, right? I mean, that, that seems a little crazy. Well, you know what? As we continue our study here in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with division going on right during the time of communion. Which if you think about it, those two words, division and communion, shouldn't be really going together because that really dishonors Jesus and what communion is really about. So I've titled our message this morning, inconsiderate in communion. I did a little NC thing. So inconsiderate in communion. That's our title, inconsiderate in communion. We're going to be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 11 from verse 17 through 34. We're going to finish up the chapter here, taking the second section. As we continue in our study, you know, last week we did the first part, but now we go on and we're going to finish the second part of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 17 through 34 today. Now I've broken up our passage into three sections, and this is what we're going to see. Number one is in our outline is the situation. Number two, the significance. And number three, the serious 
Meekness. So inconsiderate in communion. Let's begin here with number one in our outline. The situation. The situation. Take a look with me here now. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 17. Paul writes, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. We'll stop right there. Paul begins with this word, now. And with that word, it marks a new issue that he's going to be talking about in this second section in chapter 11. In this, he says, basically, in giving these instructions, in these next instructions I'm going to give you, Paul's saying, hey, I do not praise you. Now, that's something like he, he didn't say earlier. If you remember last week in verse 2 of chapter 11, Paul gave the Corinthian believers praise for, in other words, it was like, it's great that you guys trust and respect God's word, the teaching that I've given you. But here now, Paul says, it's not so great. I do not give you praise because of what I'm going to have to talk to you about. Now, this, as we come into this section here in chapter 11, it is the second part of this whole next section of 1 Corinthians that we're studying. Remember, last week we, we started out with Paul dealing with the problem that's going on during the worship service. And so this next section is actually all about that, about worship in the church. Last time, this first thing that he dealt with was how the issue was how with how they were culturally wearing the head coverings which were dishonoring God as they worshiped the Lord. They're either wearing or not wearing that and you can grab the CD to get the detail of that from last week. Well as he moves on here it is their irreverence now toward the Lord Jesus of his sacrifice on the cross while they worship with the cup and the bread in communion. They were being inconsiderate in communion, thus our title. And this is the second section, second issue, second problem that Paul is dealing with in this bigger section about worship in the Corinthian church. So Paul says, well, it's so bad. I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to condemn you. Paul says, you know what? When you come together, you're not, it's not for the better at the end of verse 17, he says, but for the worse. In other words, you guys are doing more harm than good. That's the way we would put it today. Well, what's going on now? What's, what's the issue? Well, the situation is this. Look at verse 18. Paul says, for first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For, verse 19, there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. All right, let's take this apart a little bit. Okay, so Paul hears of divisions going on in the church. There's some divisions, things, people are being divided. There's contentions and things that are going on within the church. And specifically here as we get into this section, it's during that time of communion when they're partaking communion together. Now, we already know that there, are, was, there is some divisions going on in the church. I mean, Paul was addressing that from the beginning, you remember, their carnality, you know, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulist, you know, their, their cliques and they're lining up with different leaders and speakers who came and right from the beginning, right, in 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul's 
that said that there be no divisions among you. So this was a major issue in this Corinthian church. Well, now he, he, he comes into that same subject with a particular focus now. But before that, he says something interesting. At the ver end of verse 18, he, he says, and in part, I believe it. In other words, to some extent, I, I believe it. I, I, I know that it's there. Matter of fact, in verse 19, he says, for there must be factions among you. Now, at first read, you're like, what? I thought he doesn't like the divisions. And then he's saying there are factions going on. There are some separations that are going on, some groups that are, are happening and coming together. Well, then he says this in verse 19, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Now, it's hard to understand here, but the word approved means like approved or better or genuine. What Paul is talking about is those who are approved as opposed to disapproved. Those who are like running a race and are, are, are qualified and those who are disqualified like we saw in chapters before. The idea is that there's those who are genuinely godly believers. That's what he's speaking about here. Those who really love God, those who are really following the Lord. So here's what Paul's saying, and I hope this helps you understand this. He's saying, Paul's saying, I heard about the divisions going on in the church worship service during communion. But to some ex extent, there will always be factions. There's be these separate groups between the godly and the carnal believers in the church. So he's differentiating those who are fleshly carnal, which he's addressed, remember, back in chapter 3, but those who are really following the Lord. And, and, and so he's saying I, there's going to be some in this way with the godly and the carnal guys. David Gutzik wrote, God allows factions so that over time those who really, really belong to God would be made Evident. So Guzik even says there's some unbelievers, people who, are, who go to church, but they haven't really received the Lord, and that even will separate uh, people within the church. It kind of makes you think and ask, wow, what faction, quote-unquote, do I belong to in this church? Something to think about. So Paul goes on, and it's like, uh, but that's not the division I'm talking about. He says in verse 20, Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. So he's saying, you know, when you gather, it's not about eating and, you know, about just, just feasting. It's about taking the communion together, as he's specifically talking about the, the communion worship service. Verse 21, for in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry, and another is, look at this, drunk even. So you can see why Paul is not praising them. I mean, there's some serious issues going on here. Now, when Paul uses the word supper here in verse 21, someone, uh, each one takes his own supper, he's talking about dinner. He's talking about the meal. The Corinthians, some of them were grabbing all the food ahead of the others. So there was other people left hungry and while people got drunk on the wine, and that's the wine that is being uh, part of the elements in the communion that they take. Now, to understand this, you got to go back then to that time. Back then, 
they did communion differently than what we do today. Once a month on a Sunday at the end of the Bible study, we partake of the elements. It's part of our Sunday church service. Uh, but you have to understand, see, when Jesus first did communion, it was after what? The Passover meal, right? Before he passed away. So the early church would first have a meal together and then partake in communion. Now this meal that they would have, usually on Sunday, like Sunday dinner, supper time, they would call it agape, the agape feast. The agape feast feast and then that was followed by the lord's supper and that's what they called communion we interchange those words communion the lord's supper when we partake so first they would have this supper this meal together the agape feast and then they would like jesus did to have the lord's supper well in the corinthian church we see here what be what became more important was the eating part of it now, the agape feast was actually this big potluck, yeah? Everyone would come, bring their food, put it on the tables, big buffet there and everything. Well, Paul is saying, hey, you guys are coming in, and a lot of you guys bring in your potluck food and all that. And rather than waiting for the other people, you just dive right in and you gorge on the food and you start drinking the wine, and it's all about eating, you guys have turned the Lord's Supper into eating, and it's not about eating there. So for the Corinthians, the believers there in this church, it was all about the buffet, and it was not about worship with communion. So Paul says in verse 22, What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church? of God and shame those who have nothing what shall I say to you shall I have shall I praise you in this I do not praise you so Paul's like what's this I mean don't don't you have your own house like you can eat I mean is that why you come you could do that at home Paul is saying or maybe you like to despise despise mean like look down and treat differently yeah treat lowly with disrespect basically the church, the people of God. And maybe you like to shame those who have nothing, those who are less fortunate than you. Now, normally, uh, back then, there were some real you know, wealthy people and there were some real poor people. And so the church was a mix of those two social classes, you can say. And so normally, the wealthy guys... They had the money, they had the resources, so they would bring most of all the food. And maybe the poor would bring whatever they, they could. So you can now see what Paul is saying. It was the wealthy guys who brought all the food, and it was the wealthy guys who ate all the food, leaving nothing for the poor. So Paul is like, what do you think I'm going to say? You, you think I'm going to praise you? Like, wow, that's so godly, you know. That is so loving what you're doing, especially in this agape feast, right? I mean, wh where's the love? Where's the sharing? You know, what's going on? Is this really a, a godly thing to do, disrespecting the people of God, the people in the church? And, and then you're bringing division. And how, is it, how are they bringing division? Well, the wealthy guys are eating and drinking and the poor people have nothing. He's, they're dividing in that social classes again. 
So you, you can see, you can imagine the poor bringing what they could to this agape feast. Maybe they were looking forward to fellowshipping with even wealthy believers and other people in the church, which outside the church, you know, they were a separate class. But now God has brought them into one unity, you know, neither Jew, Greek, you know, rich or poor, male or female. He's brought us into a one family. But think about what it was like when the poor guys walk into the church and they find the wealthy guys leaning back in their chairs, a toothpick in their mouth, patting their full bellies after eating all the food. Yeah? Imagine what they felt like. They probably walked in like, whoa, that, that's what we experience in the world. Like, how about us? You don't care about us? You know, that's how they treat us outside in the world. Is this really church? Is this really what it's about? What if uh, someone brought their friend and, oh, you got to come. You got to come. These guys are loving. They're great. And then they see this. And then they feel that same social prejudice, that class pride, that superiority, you know, from the wealthy guys. Agape feast? Is this really the Lord's Supper? Remember we talked about that weeks ago, about the unity that's in the Lord's Supper, even communion where God is bringing us all together in unity in Jesus Christ. So Paul is really putting forth here, the situation is by gorging on all the food and drink, you guys cause division, which goes against the sharing and unity of this service. That's the situation. This is what he needs to talk to them about. By gorging on all the food and drink, you guys cause division, which goes against the sharing and unity of this service. Warren Wiersbe said agape feasts should have been an opportunity for edification, but they were using it as a time for embarrassment. How sad is that, right? Where the eating and sharing a meal together was to bring people together. Yeah, we're sitting down with one another, talking story, having fellowship before you really go into the time of worship. And even in the time of communion, that was to bring unity. It turned into disunity. It was opposite of what it should have been going on. And they are just gorging on food and drink. And Paul's saying, you guys are causing division. It goes against the sharing and unity of this service. I was thinking about for us, you know, when we sit down and eat after church, is it about the fellowship? Is it about getting to know one another? Is it about, you know, hey, how are you doing? Maybe ministering or, or encouraging one another or praying for one another. You know, what, what is it about? Is it about looking at, oh, what kind of food? Nah, I'm out of here, <laughs> you know, kind, kind of thing. Is it about, oh, I'm, I'm going to find my, my pals and my clique, yeah, and just sit with those guys. I mean, we should be trying to meet new people. Or, or sitting down with those who maybe you've seen at church before, but you really never have gotten to know them. Or maybe the Holy Spirit puts on your heart, hey, I want you to go sit down with that person and, and encourage them. Talk to them, yeah? Share what you've been going through. Share what the Lord has been ministering to you. It's about that, right? About our fellowship. Not about the food. Not about the drink. Not about, oh, we're going to stay in our group. Stand in a, sit, sit in the corner and just do that thing, yeah? It's not about that. See, these Corinthian guys made it about the food and about, hey, their buddies hanging out and eating. So others were neglected and made to feel like nobodies. 
If we constantly do that as a church, as a body, what kind of message do we send? Yeah? What kind of message is that? If we're constantly, yeah, just well, staying within maybe our social class or our cliques or whatever that is, right? No, we should be more concerned about one another. We should be concerned about that other person and not so much gorging on the food. At a church picnic, one of the games uh, that they were playing was catch with a raw egg. And you guys probably have done that, right, at picnics and everything. It's good fun. You start off close and you're tossing the egg to each other. You get a partner. But each time you, you do the toss, you take a step back, right? So it gets farther and farther and farther apart and gets harder and harder to catch that raw egg. And so many times it breaks in your hands or on your face. No. Or, you know, you get, you get egg all over and everything. And everyone's laughing, having a good time. And so they started this game. But there were two children who were watching the game intently. They came up to the organizer and asked if perhaps there were, if there were any eggs left over, could they take them home? And the reason was because they come from a very poor family who, who, who couldn't afford even to buy eggs. Well, right away, the organizer stopped the game, gave out whatever prizes to whoever, and then they took all the leftover eggs and gave it to the children. And why is that? Well, the writer says she knew it was wrong for some of the saints to have a good time at the expense of others. I like that. Yeah, I like that. How about us today? How about you today? Yeah, are, 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 are we enjoying ourselves at the expense of someone else? Are we causing division because, well, we think of our own self more than the other? Something to think about, especially in this situation that was going on in the Corinthian church. Well, let's move on here to number two in our outline, the significance. The significance. Our title again, Inconsiderate and Communion. We've seen the situation. Now, Paul moves on to really put forth the significance of what communion is about. First Corinthians chapter 11 now, verse 23. It says here, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Paul goes on here. Now he's going to explain and go into well, what is communion about? And with that, he's going to bring out the significance of their worship service as they take the cup and the bread and the cup here. So Paul reminds them of what he had delivered. So I received from the Lord. He's saying that, hey, I, I received this directly from Jesus. An idea most commentators believe that it wasn't like the other apostles told him. Yeah, uh, the other gospels, I believe, wasn't even written. It, 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 First Corinthians is older, I believe, and and so the Lord directly told him about what went on that night. So I received this from the Lord, and 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 which you know, I've taught you guys this thing, this communion. He taught them, but what they should know but what they denied by their actions. So he emphasized now the importance and the significance of the Lord's Supper. So he begins that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. 
And what is that? The last night of his life, right? The betrayal of Judas, you know, one of the 12, right, led to the events of his arrest, the cross, his suffering, yeah, the scourging, everything that he went to, and him dying on the cross. So all that, his betrayal led to that. Well, on that night, the night before he died on the cross, he took the bread. He prayed, right? He gave thanks. And then it says in verse 24, he broke it and he passed it to his disciples. I mean, we've studied all the Gospels and we went through that and we talk about it when we do communion. So you, you understand that. So he broke the bread, passed, passed it around. And they passed it around. And then he said this. He said in verse 24, take, eat. This is my body. This bread that you're holding that you're going to consume represents my body which is broken for you or which has been given for you or which has been sacrificed for you. Now stop right there. Those two words for you. Think about that. Think about what that means. It wasn't just the disciples. It's not just about the apostles or so back then. But it's about you, for you, for you and me. I mean, make this real personal. I mean, think about what that means. When we partake and we take that bread, a lot of times I'm just looking at it. And I'm thinking about what Jesus said here. Take it. This is my body. The bread represents this body that was sacrificed for me. For what Christ did for me. The, rep, the bread represents how Jesus gave his body as a sacrifice to suffer and die for my salvation. John MacArthur said, for, for you are two of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. I love that. And when I read that, I go, oh, yeah. Just melted looking at those two words, for you. Jesus, he sacrificed his whole life, his body for you. Well, then he says here in verse 24, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So taking communion was to be a memorial, right, to honor Jesus in what he did. Now, communion is, is one of two rites that Jesus asked us to do. He commanded us. One is bapt water baptism. And he told the disciples, go out into the world baptizing people, right? Water baptisms. The, uh, the only other rite you should say, we should say is communion. Jesus commands that we partake in communion. He said, do this now in remembrance of me. You know why? Jesus wants us to never forget what he's done. And he knows us humans, it's easy for us to forget and take for granted. Jesus wants us to never forget that he gave himself on the cross for our salvation. So we are to honor him in remembrance of what he did on the cross. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, I remember one time I was visiting my grandmother's grave. And I was looking at the gravestone, and it had her name. And I was looking at some other family in that area. I was, lo I was looking at her name. And, and y you know, when you look at the gravestone, you, you, you look at their name, the, the year they were born, the year they passed away. And I, I was just kind of staring at it. And, and I was looking at, at her name, and I was thinking about her life. And I was thinking about her life. I pictured her face. I pictured her smile. I, I could hear her voice in my memories and, and I could think about different 
different uh, things, you know, that happened uh, with her. Like I remember when she was driving me in her car when I was small. I remember, I remember presents she would bring. You know, I remember the love and care and the food she'd give me, you know. And I just remember all the things that she did. And it was just good memories, as, you know, standing right there. And you, you guys understand, you know, when you go visit a grave. Well, think about this now. With Jesus, we don't have a grave to go to. Why? He's risen, right? The tomb is empty, right? And we, we have the, the cross, sometimes we put up here, but it's only a replica yeah, of, of what he died on. The, the cross is no more. What do we have? We have the elements in communion. We have... The memorial service, the time we, we take those elements and it, it, it brings to our, the forefront in our mind what Jesus did for us. Yeah? What his sacrifice, how he gave his whole life, his body for us. And, and that brings it to our mind and our heart of all that Jesus did. And we remember and we honor him yeah, that he did all that for us. That's what Paul is talking about. That's what Jesus commanded us. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he said in verse 25, in the same manner he also, Jesus, took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So Jesus now then, he took the cup. And notice it says cup. Yeah, I like that. It, uh, the writers didn't say wine. And back then, certainly, that's what they did. They drank the wine. That was customary for uh, back then the Jews did in Passover. But I think God knew later we would not be drinking wine in the service, you know, because of cultural, social issues, like we talked about not wanting to stumble our brother, all that. So we drink grape juice from where the wine comes from. Yeah? But I love this. It says the cup. Yeah? So he took the cup. And then it says, after supper. What is that? That's that Passover meal that they just had. And he said, this cup now is the new covenant. He's saying this cup represents now. Uh, it, it, it's, an, it, 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 it's saying this is the new covenant which has come by my blood. The blood that Jesus shed for us. The blood that dripped down. The blood that Jesus bled on the cross. He's saying this represents that new covenant. The cup represents how Jesus shed his blood to seal this new way to have forgiveness. This new way to God. This new way to be saved and go to heaven. See, Passover, if you remember, it was about the lamb that was sacrificed and its blood was smeared on the doorposts, right, back in Exodus. So the death angel would pass over the Jewish houses who had, who had sacrificed the lamb. The blood covered their house and that would keep them safe from the last plague that went over Egypt, the killing of the firstborn in all of Egypt. And that was the last plague that Pharaoh finally let Israel out and go to the promised land and free them from bondage. Well, that was the beginning of the old 
covenant, we call it. We call that. It's the old covenant where the blood of an animal sacrifice would atone for sins. But our sin, our atonement would only be temporary. They had to offer, offer sacrifices like daily, yearly ones and all that. And also, if you think about in the old covenant, people could only approach God through the appointed priests. So that was like the old way. Ten Commandments, you gotta, you got to live by that, you know, and everything. But Jesus now, his death and resurrection brings the new covenant where he himself was a sacrifice. He himself died on the cross in the place of sinners. And now Jesus' blood forgives us and cleanses us and removes Sin. The, the animal blood, it didn't remove. It could not do that. But now Jesus, his blood, actually removes the sin, frees us from the bondage of sin. And Jesus' death on the cross does not to have to be repeated like the animal sacrifices. Romans 6.10, he died once for all. And now through faith, believing in what Jesus did on dying on the cross and rising again, you know what? We have now direct access to God. We can have a relationship with him one-on-one. We don't have to go through a priest or anybody. And now we have this new life. We have the resurrected life. We have the assurance of heaven. We have Jesus now in us. And that's amazing. This is the new covenant. So when we hold that cup, that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, this is the new covenant. I shed my blood so that now... You can have this new way. You can have forgiveness. You can have salvation and a relationship. So Jesus says, drink this cup. Why? In remembrance of me. Same idea. And to honor God by remembering how Jesus purchased our salvation with his blood, with his body, dying on the cross. It was at this moment on the night before his death when he did this first communion with the disciples that Jesus changed Passover forever. And now it is about communion. It's about Jesus dying on the cross and shedding his blood for our sins. A lot of meaning there, right? So you understand why Paul is, is, is showing the significance of all what communion is really about. I, and I know you guys, we, we talk about it plenty of times when we take communion. But here we're, we're going to stop and kind of kind of meditate, kind of look at this right now. How important it is, the bread, the cup. A little boy asked his mom why dad was late coming home. Mom said he stopped by the hospital to give blood. At first, the boys got wide, thinking his dad was losing blood and going to die. But then he told his mom, oh, but we know that's just grape juice, don't we, mom? (laughs) I like that. Well, understand, it may be grape juice, but the cup is about the blood that was shed for you. So verse 26, now Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So Paul adds something else here. Paul says, you know, every time you believers partake in communion, you proclaim, you announce, you make known the Lord's death. It's not just honoring what he did, but you're, you're like, it's a testimony to the world that we're not ashamed of the gospel of 
Christ. Yeah? We're not ashamed what he did. We're, we're like, this is what Jesus did for us. And we honor him. And this, you're, you're, you're honoring him and you're speaking about it and you're letting it out about it. And also communion reminds us of the hope that when Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven, that you know what? He will come again. That's what Paul says that you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes, he says, till he comes. Communion not only looks to the past like his death, but it also looks to the future because he rose again, ascended into heaven, he's going to return, right? Jesus said to the disciples at that first communion, Matthew 26, 29, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the day of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. All right, so Paul is saying, here's the significance, you guys. Communion is all about Jesus and remembering the incredible cost of life when he died on a cross to save us. That's the significance here. Communion is all about Jesus remembering the incredible cost of life when he died on a cross to save us. This little boy took part in communion for the first time and as he looked at the tiny cracker and the little cup, he asked his dad to explain what it meant, what it means. Well, the dad just really quickly leaned over and whispered back, son, this was Jesus' last supper. Little puzzled, the little boy replied, wow, they sure didn't give him much, did they? <laughs> well, it's not just about this little juice and bread, right? You know, it's not there to fill our stomachs. No, Paul is trying to establish the fact that when the Corinthian believers gathered together to worship with the bread in a cup, it's not about the food. It's, that's not what it's about. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. His communion is about Jesus and remembering the incredible cost of life when he died on the cross to save us. It's all about Jesus. Now, next week is the first Sunday of February. And so next week, we're going to be partaking in communion. It's important that you understand, that you come to church understanding these things. At first, I thought, well, Lord, maybe we should wait for this message till next Sunday. But you know what I thought? thought it's really good for us to really learn this now and, and really understand the significance and that when we come to church, our hearts will be prepared. And that, you know what, I look forward to it. I, I come to desire, I, I come with a desire to honor the Lord. To, 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 I come to church like, wow, God, this is for you. This is coming to you. And every week I do that. And especially communion, God, this is to, it's a memorial for you. It's a time to honor you. It's a time to, oh, remember all that you've done and appreciate you. And, and, and you know what? I like to come to church every week like that with a desire, looking forward to that, with a mindset like that. You know what? Some, sometimes people come to church and make it into more like a dinner and a show, yeah? A dinner and a show. Entertain me, yeah? Ah, oh, I hope the songs are good, yeah? Uh, I, I, I hope the band's up today, you know, not making mistakes, you know? But it's not about some show, yeah? I hope the pastor's really funny up there, you know? He's funny looking, that's good, but, nah. but, but yeah, you know, sometimes it's a dinner show, and then after we're done, we're going to go eat. Yeah, woo-hoo. Yeah. No, worship is much more than that, right? Worship with a cup and bread is much more than that, yeah? 
It's about going to the Lord, being before God himself. Isn't that what it's about? I wonder sometimes, why are we here? Yeah? Why are we here? Why, why do we come to church? Why do we open our Bibles? Why do we, why we come early and, and, and want to be right when the music starts and the worship starts? Why? Why do you want to be here? Is it just for entertainment? Is it time to meet your friends, you know? Usually, for me, I like to just close my eyes and, and worship, yeah? And, but sometimes, you know, I'm opening my eyes and my eye will catch, you know, someone right in the middle of the greatest time of worship and they're talking, you know? Or they're laughing or, 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 or some, some people are just staring out into space somewhere, yeah, yeah. Going where men have never gone before, you know, that <laughs> kind of thing. But why do we come? Why is it? It's all about Jesus, guys. It's all about Jesus. All right, well, we better move on here to number three in our outline, the seriousness, the seriousness. So Paul's like, hey, don't be inconsiderate in communion. We see number one, the situation. Number two, the significance and now the seriousness of what Paul's talking about. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, this is a very interesting verse. Paul brings it all together. He says, therefore, since communion is all about Jesus, since it's so important, it's about his sacrifice and his life, what it cost him yeah, for our salvation. He says, whoever partakes now in an unworthy manner. That Greek word means improperly. Or better, I, I like this word, irreverently. Like not honoring the Lord. Now, this verse has been misunderstood. You know why? Because a long time ago in the old King James translation, the word is unworthily, 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 which made it feel like, you know, if, if, you, if you had sin in your life and you're coming, you know, to communion like an like unworthy life, unworthy person, you shouldn't partake in the holy communion. But that's not what Paul is saying here. I think both the New King James, the ESV, even other translations, NLT, really nail it on, uh, on the translation when they say, like we see here, unworthy manner, manner. It speaks about the attitude of the approach, our heart. It speaks about what's inside toward the Lord when you partake of the elements. It, 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 it's how you, you think about what God, Jesus has done for you. Is it like, ah, oh, whatever, or is it reverently? That's the idea. Is it irreverently? He goes, whoever partakes in that irreverent way, that's the idea. One commentator said, Paul did not say that we had to be worthy to partake of the supper, but only that we should partake in a worthy manner. So I love that. So be clear in your mind what this means because there's a lot of confusion out there. Now, if you partake of communion in an unworthy manner, then Paul says you will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. The body and the blood. In other words, you are guilty of dishonoring what Jesus did on the cross. You're dishonoring the sacrifice. And who's that? Jesus. You're dishonoring how he gave of himself. You're dishonoring that sacrifice, Jesus. Think about this. 
it's kind of like this. When the president announced he was moving the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, yeah, right on, yeah, the reaction was what? A lot of anger. People were upset, right? And did you see on TV uh, in, in Gaza, yeah, the Palestinians didn't like it. And what did they do? They took out the American flag, and what did they do? They burned it, and they stomped on it. Why? Because the flag represents America, the U.S., and it was an act of dishonoring the, the U.S. It was an act of disrespecting and, and just, ah, you, you guys are nothing. Well, the same way, approaching the Lord's table with food on the mind, Paul's saying, well, all you want to do is eat, is not caring, and also not caring about people and causing division, is stomping on the elements, the bread and the cup, and dishonoring the sacrifice, the body and the blood. You're being irreverent toward what Jesus had done, what he had done. Verse 28, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself and discerning the Lord's body. So Paul's saying everyone should examine yourself. So when you come to the communion table, when you come to communion service, worship service, check your heart, check your motives, check your attitude, check your approach. Why are you coming? Is it just to eat? Yeah. Why are you coming? Is it a ritual that you do? Even that is offensive to the Lord. Or is it really to honor Jesus and what he did in sacrificing himself? Check your heart. For Paul says, if you take communion in an unworthy manner, you know what? You bring judgment upon yourself. And then this last phrase in verse 29, not discerning the Lord's body is a little hard, but basically not discerning or not evaluating yeah, how important it is to honor the Lord's body, yeah, his sacrifice. Make sure your heart is right or you will dishonor Jesus and bring judgment upon yourselves. Well, what are you talking about, Paul? Look at verse 30. For this reason, the judgment, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. Verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So some are coming in flippantly, you know, diff uh, indifferent and in apathy, ritualistically, just coming for the food. Who cares if I cause division in the church, all of that. And so Paul's saying, that's why some of you are weak. You're, you're like, for some reason, you don't have strength. Yeah, or spiritually weak even, or some, some are sick. They've gotten actually physically sick, and many sleep. And the word there in the New Testament is actually they've even died. Oh, pretty serious here, right? This is the seriousness. Paul's saying if only you would judge or examine yourselves, this would not be happening. This is how serious it is for not honoring Jesus in communion. I mean, we're talking about disrespecting God, right? Verse 32, but when we are judged, like when we examine, uh, or, or not examine, when, when judgment or comes upon us, he says we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Paul's saying when believers are judged and uh, if they come in with that kind of attitude, it is really chastening from the Lord so that we may learn not to be condemned like the world is. The idea is believers are not a, under eternal judgment, but God works a corrective judgment, like we get discipline for the wrong we do. 
So he's not talking about like, say, losing your salvation, which I don't believe. He's talking about discipline, chastisement from the Lord when you come in that way and that's why you're weak or sick. And even some have died, but they're still with the Lord. But it's part of the chastisement about it. See, none of us are really worthy, right? But Jesus makes us worthy. That's why there's no condemnation in Romans 8 with those who are in Christ Jesus. But we can come in an unworthy manner. Our approach, our attitude, our heart can all be wrong. And we disrespect God in this, this holy moment. And God may have to discipline or chastise us last two verses paul says therefore my brethren when you come together to eat wait for one another don't make it about eating but about sharing verse 34 but if anyone is hungry you know what let him eat at home lest you come together for judgment and the rest i will set in order when i come i'll talk to you about more when i actually come visit you you know if you're really hungry go eat at home yeah if, if you're tempted to gorge on the food hey eat before you come here you know so more people can have more food and you won't be chastised so the last point here is this examine the heart so to not take communion in on an unworthy manner for this is a holy time to honor the holy sacrifice jesus Put that in your minds. Examine the heart so to not take communion in an unworthy manner. For this is a holy time to honor the holy sacrifice of Jesus. You know, we sometimes we'll sing that song, uh, This is Love. You remember that song? We, um, we sing it uh, during communion a lot of times. In the first verse, there's three words that always just hits me and makes me really bow down to Jesus. The, the first verse goes, nail pierced hands and wounded, wounded side. This is love. This is love. But then the next three words always gets me. It says, the holy heart was sacrificed. The, what a way to put that. The holy heart was sacrificed. And it really puts my mind frame into that thought. This is the holy son of God who sacrificed his holy heart and his blood and he died on the cross. And this is a holy moment for this holy sacrifice, this holy God who died for us. Oh, that should humble us. That should bring us to, to, to our knees and our, on our faces in the time of communion as we remember that Christ died for me. And you know what? So many times coming into communion, I feel unworthy. How about you? Do you sometimes feel that? You feel unworthy? And then maybe you feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't take this. Maybe that verse is saying I shouldn't even be here. Am I going to get killed? You know, or something like that? No. If you feel unworthy, you know what? Then communion is the best time to come to God and confess your sin, yeah? And be forgiven because we're right there facing the cross. We're looking at the cross right then. We're remembering what Jesus has done and we can get that forgiveness and cleansing from him. I'll tell you, that's the right approach. That's the right heart to approach with humbleness and respect. Are you feeling so unworthy even today? Jesus can cleanse you. Jesus can make you clean. All we need to do is come to the cross and find forgiveness. In Scotland, many years ago, this Hebrew scholar, John Duncan, was feeling miserable, unworthy in the communion worship service. And so much so, he didn't even want to partake of the elements and all. And this was this Hebrew scholar. 
Yeah, he knew the scripture and everything. And he felt like, no, I cannot. But then his eye caught uh, this young lady. Her hand was trembling as she broke down in tears and she was just sobbing and sobbing. Her sins had caught up to her. And suddenly the light turned on in his heart and the sight of the suffering young lady brought him back to his right mind and he turned to her. And when the trace came by, he, told, he encouraged her, take it, Lassie, take it. It's meant for sinners. I love that. That's what it's about, you guys. That's what communion is. It's serious. It's a serious time, so we got to approach it in that way. But that's what it's about. I'll close with this. I saw this list of the world's most expensive food. Um, there was a $100 hot dog on there. In Vancouver, it was infused with 100-year-old wine and topped with lobster and truffle oil. Another thing on the list was a $350 steak in this New York City restaurant. Another thing was, get this, a $750 cupcake. A cupcake. $750 in Las Vegas topped with edible gold flakes and vanilla, vanilla caviar. And then also was a $1,000 pizza topped with lobster and caviar. Crazy. People paying for that. But let me tell you, nothing compares to the bread and cup in communion. Nothing, right? For it represents the body given, the blood spilled to save us, and that was Jesus Christ, our God. So don't let a selfish heart overshadow the... uh, Don't let a selfish heart overshadow the selfless act. Let's honor Jesus... Let's honor him for what he did on the cross. So next week, when you come to worship with the bread and the cup, don't be inconsiderate in communion. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the reminder. Thank you for for looking into our hearts, God. And sometimes, Lord, when you open our hearts and we look in, We see the ugliness. We see the selfishness. We see the pride. We see how how blind we've been to those things that dishonor you. How we've been disrespecting you. How 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 we have not been truly honoring you, but we've been irreverent, Lord. God, we want to honor you. We want to reverence you. We want to. Be humble before you and lift your name up, God. Lord, there's no one else. You are our creator, the Lord God of the universe. Jesus Christ, you, you reign, Lord. You have sovereign power. You're holy and righteous. And yet, you came to this earth, became a man, suffered and died for us. Lord, how could we not bow? How could we not even feel worthy? How could we not thank you and lift your name up, God? Jesus, forgive me. Forgive us all, Lord, for being irreverent at times. Lord, in the middle of worship, even though we're, we're singing and there's words on our lips, our mind can be somewhere else. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us that we don't put our whole heart into to worshiping you 
our whole attention in listening for you as we study your word. Forgive us, God, that we disrespect you in so many ways with our attitudes, Lord, with our approaches. But God, today it's going to stop. And today it's going to be different. And from now on, Lord, we will truly honor you, God, in worship, in your word, in our prayer time, in our communion, worship to you. So, God, I pray for next week as we come together, Lord, that we will come and approach you prepared, Lord, already, yearning for you, excited, God, to be able to give you honor as we partake in communion. And help us every day, Lord, in the life we live, in what we do, what we think, what we say, and what's in our heart, to give you glory always. In Jesus' name, amen.